Hello and welcome to the Nursing Standard podcast. I'm Flavia Munn, editor of Nursing Standard. This episode of the podcast is exploring new post-registration standards for nurses working in community settings in the UK. Now, these standards are being held as the most significant shake-up to advance community nursing qualifications for 30 years. So what are these new standards and specialist qualifications and why are they being introduced by the Nursing and Midwifery Council? And what does it mean for nurses' careers, their employers and the universities and other providers delivering education and training? Joining me to discuss this topic is Geraldine Waters, the NMC's Executive Director of Professional Practice, and Anne Trotter, the NMC's Assistant Director of Professional Practice. So hello, Geraldine and Anne, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Flavia, and hi to the listeners too. Good morning, Flavia. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. Thank you both for joining us. So as we have two of you, we're going to uh, sort of tag team it with the questions. So we're going to start um, with um, Geraldine. So I wanted to start really by asking you why the new standards for specialist community public health nursing and specialist practice qualifications have been introduced and and what they mean in practice. So, uh, Really great to have the opportunity to um, discuss this on your podcast, Flavia. So thanks so much for the invitation and um, and something that Anne and I have been really immersed in for for a good two to three years. So it's uh, great to be at this point um, and be able to give you uh, some of the background for you and your listeners. So uh, probably best to start with a bit of background, really. So the regulated standards for SCIF and and community nursing specialist practice qualifications have been in place for for many years. So we haven't introduced anything new um, in concept. They're unusual, these qualifications, because they're the only specialist post-registration standards set by the regulator for a specific area of practice. So we have prescribing, of course, that's post-registration, but that's really across all specialties. So uh, we set standards for community nursing, but we don't set standards for things like cardiac nursing, accident and emergency nursing, um, intensive care nursing. Um, People can develop their careers in uh, those specialties, but we don't regulate the qualifications. So people would often say, well, why do you have post-registration Uh, regulated qualifications for community specialties um, uh, and nothing else. Um, And the reasons for a lot of things, uh, aren't they, due to sort of history and legacy. And and the reason for this was that nursing in the community um, was seen to be higher risk because people were working in their own, on their own, uh, in people's own homes. So that's where the standards really came from and and a belief historically that to work in the community, you should have a regulated qualification. Because times are a bit different now um, and these standards uh, are are very old and out of date. So over the last few years, we've been renewing all of our standards. So we started with pre-registration first and then finally we moved on to the post-registration standards. And the first thing we had to do was decide whether there was an appetite for us to continue providing regulated standards for these specialties. Uh, We knew that some groups of people were really keen that we did, but others uh, were questioning whether regulation had a purpose um, in this space. So we spent quite a lot of time talking to people and and thinking about that. Um, 
we decided that there was a justification uh, to continue to regulate these standards for two reasons. First, because as we know, there's an aspiration for increasingly more complex care to be provided in the community. And we need a workforce with, with the skills and knowledge able to do that. And also, um, we know that our approach towards public health, good health and well-being needs to be much more sophisticated. I mean, even more so following the pandemic. Um, and nurses have the potential to make a much bigger contribution to that. And so we felt for these reasons, uh, the standards uh, required were higher, uh, so that would require a greater expertise from community nurses. And we wanted that greater knowledge and skill to be explicit in the new standards. Because the role of the community nursing in this context in the future is going to require even more autonomy, more accountability. And both of these things really support an argument for, for regulation. So that's not to say that many community nurses aren't already working at this level. But what the standards will mean in practice is that it will raise the potential for everyone uh, to really work at the top of their licence for everyone who undertakes this qualification. I think that's the summary so far, Flavia. I hope that made sense. That does. Thank you very much for that. And it's a useful place to start. Um, also, to follow up on that, what will it mean to a, an individual nurse and, and their career development to, ha to have one of these uh, specialist qualifications? And, and also, what does it mean to, to patient care? Will, will there be a difference? Uh, well, there's, there's lots of ways that people can develop their careers um, which don't depend on regulation. Um, and there's lots of courses outside of the ones that, that we have standards for, which are, are really high quality for career development. So we can only justify regulating something if it's necessary for the safety of patients and people. So a regulated qualification means that everyone who has it and can record it on our register, um, it means they've under, undertaken a programme which has a level of consistency and quality that's guaranteed. Um, and that and the level of knowledge and skill is outlined in the standards. So the first thing this means for patients and people who use the services is that they can be confident of the professionalism and knowledge and skill of the person looking after them. Secondly, we've made a step change in the level of knowledge and skill required to gain this qualification. And the third thing is that it's important that all community professionals who require additional levels of knowledge and skill can have access to a regulated qualification. So you'll remember that the previous community qualifications only addressed uh, a few community nursing roles, which were historically only the ones that existed. That didn't make sense now because there are many roles in the community and even more are being developed. Uh, so we included a qualification which describes this high level of practice which could uh, apply to any community nurse um, in any specialty. So our focus uh, has to be on what's good for people and patients. Um, but I believe if you do that successfully, you'll always benefit nurses and midwives personally and professionally as well. So what I hope these standards will do is further increase the value of what nurses and midwives can offer. Uh, the standards describe a high level of, skin, of clinical skill, a high level of management skill and teaching and understanding of research and innovation. So our vision is that these standards provide the foundations not only for more advanced clinical practice for community nurses, but also the foundations which will develop the service leaders and innovators of the future.
Brilliant. Thank you very much for that, Geraldine. And um, I wanted to to move over to 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 you, Anne, now, and and ask you, um, what will universities and other providers need need to do now, and and employers as well? I'm wondering if you could sort of take uh, listeners through the journey of of gaining, you know, one of the the new qualifications, sort of how how it will work, and um, what what they will have to prove they they can do. Yeah, it, it's a really important question, Flavia, and it, it, it speaks to how you know, we know that universities now uh, will be running community nursing programmes that lead to a specialist practice qualification and have been doing so for some time and equally for those doing specialist community public health nursing uh, courses too. But when our council agreed these standards, they also agreed to a transition period. So in that transition period, which is actually two years, all universities who want to seek approval of the new programmes against the new standards will need to go through a, a series of processes. So the first thing that they have to do is to tell us what it is they want to have approved. Now, Jerry gave the example of um, different SPQ qualifications. So the university would have to decide alongside their partners, you know, do they want to deliver everything? So for example, do they want to deliver district nursing, general practice nursing, community children's nursing and so on? Um, or is there only specific ones that they want to seek approval for? And similarly with the, the Skiffin programmes, you know, do do, some universities only may want to deliver health visiting programmes, but some may want to deliver health visiting, school nursing and occupational health nursing. So they've got to decide what it is that they're seeking approval for. And then they get together with their partners to start to develop the new curriculum against the new standards. And people often say to me, but my, my course is a really good course. And, and, and we have no doubt because we've obviously approved those courses in the past. But those courses are against the older standards, not these new ones that have that higher ambition for what people can achieve when they complete their studies. So it's really important that universities and their partners, including employer organisations, look at the new standards, look at their own locality and decide what's important in shaping the, the programmes they design and the programmes that they seek approval for. And one of those really important things that they've got to do as well is include people, members of the public and users of service in those developments too. Because it's, we, as Jerry said, we were really keen to know what people need from professionals with these qualifications. And we know that uh, there is a strong evidence base as well that um, all of these professionals will need to have, but it's really important to get that sense of what matters to people, to their families, to their carers, given that that care will be close to home, in their home, in schools and in the workplace. So the other one is that we've got that new qualification that Jerry talked about, the, the SPQ, community nursing SPQ in health and social care. So universities will need to decide if they want to do that, and that could be really attractive to them. And, and one area they may want to think about is having that community nursing SPQ and health and social care with a focus on adult social care, for example, or health and justice. Um, and they're just examples. So they would have to identify what they are and what their timeline is for seeking that approval. 
because what we have said is that these new standards must have new programmes by the 1st of September 2024. So universities who have approved programmes now can carry on with the programmes they've got, but over this next 24 months, they really have to have decided what it is they're going to be delivering alongside the partners, have that justification about why that's really needed in the locality and start to shape what the curriculum looks like. Then go through the NMC quality assurance gateway approach to getting that approval and normally that takes about six months so what we're saying is don't leave all of these conversations to the end you know, sort of spring 2024 start thinking about your plans now um, there's one thing of note that's different across the UK Flavia and that's in relation to England and the opportunity that comes with a different funding stream for higher apprenticeships. The apprenticeship standards that exist just now for these qualifications were obviously set and mapped to our older standards. So what we have, what um, they're having to do is to develop new apprenticeship standards. So that work is beginning now. And so universities in England may want to take account of the timing of the delivery of the new apprenticeship standards when they are seeking their approval. Um, but we're staying very closely in touch with everyone. We're communicating messages on a very regular basis. We'll be going out very soon to start talking to people about uh, how, they can, how we can support the implementation of these standards, but equally answer any questions to do with quality assurance and how they can get approval of those programmes. So that, that's a quick whirlwind tour of things, but we're looking for all those stakeholders to be involved in those developments. So that's past students, the uh, educators within universities and within practice, employers, clinicians, and as I said, importantly, um, people who use these services. So quick whirlwind tour there, Fabia. Lovely. Thank you for that. Um, also, to follow up on that, how will you be ensuring that these qualifications are future proofed? I know it's been some time since you've updated them, so I'm sure it's um, important to make sure they, they don't date so so quickly. So how are they likely to need revising shortly or, or, or not? No, we, we hope not. Um, it's It's been one of those principles that uh, relates to all of the standards that we've developed uh, that seeking that evidence base looking at what's important both from the professional practice and also for what people need and one of the things we always said is it's not what people need today from a community nurse with an SPQ's qualification or a specialist community public health nurse it's what people need from these professionals now and for the next 10 years so when we've been thinking about that, we've been trying to predict as much as we can um, what the direction of travel is. And sometimes that might be something to do with um, the population, the demographic, you know, what, what are we facing in relation to uh, caring for people at home or close to home? Um, what are the challenges that people have? So that might be something around the focus on um, prevention of ill health and, and maintaining health and well-being, be it mental or physical. 
or it may be addressing some of those long-standing challenges that exist for people in their health. Uh, so that could be uh, the obesity crisis, could be the fact that we know that people are living for longer with complex needs. And we're trying to take all of that and put all of that into why these standards matter, not just for today, but for the future. But we all know that things change and new evidence comes along. Uh, the pandemic was a real testimony to that. We didn't know what we were facing and that evidence was emerging on a daily basis. So our professionals always need to reflect on their practice and adapt to new and changing ways of working or to new evidence that emerges or new challenges that might exist. And the, the way that the NMC writes their standards, they are sufficiently high level that that level of detail that goes into the curriculum can expand um, to reflect those future changes. Great, thank you very much, Anne, for that. Um, so we're just just going to move back back to you, Geraldine, um, to ask about the um, pre-registration education programs. So I understand that standards for for those programs are, are being reviewed. Um, can you tell listeners uh, what they will mean for nursing students and the profession as a whole? Yeah, thanks, Flavia. Um, so um, we're probably reviewing some elements of the. Um, pre-registration standards so, sooner than we thought um, because we've left the EU. So what, what sometimes people don't realise is that there were quite a lot of EU requirements that were built into our education programme standards. And when we talk about programme standards, we're not talking about skills and, and knowledge specifically. We're talking about how courses should be run and uh, what experience is included um, in them. So now that we've left the EU, um, we can take a, a, a really um, hard and critical look about whether we want all those EU requirements to, to continue. Um, there are requirements around access to courses. There are requirements about course length. Um, there's also some quite uh, restrictive requirements about simulation and the definition of simulation in the EU standards. So not all of the EU requirements are um, are things we'd want to to remove um, but actually we do want to look at the opportunity for making changes and where uh, we could make the courses a bit more flexible and innovative for uh, universities to deliver if we had um, less um, of the EU requirements within them. So um, we can't just change things at will um, our legislation says that we have to look at evidence and we have to look at uh, what stakeholders think and, and build some consensus. So that's what we've been doing over the last uh, few months. We've been looking at the evidence for some of the EU requirements um, and we've been seeking uh, stakeholder views. Um, there's not much evidence, unfortunately, about uh, nursing courses and what makes them successful or not. Um, we know that across the world, it's generally a three year programme, but there are some uh, variations uh, within that. Um, so we're making some we're suggesting some um, modest changes to start with, and they are out for consultation at the moment. And they involve access to courses. They involve uh, counting um, some um, patient facing hours, whether we can count those in simulation rather than always in practice learning. Uh, we're also looking at uh, midwifery requirements and nursing requirements 
separately because the EU directive affects them both. Um, Please have a look at the consultation, uh, listeners, if you've not done so already, so that you can get a view of uh, where we are and what we're doing. Some people, I think, maybe think we're not going far enough in the changes that we're suggesting. But what I'd really emphasise is, is this is the, the end of the beginning of this work. What we're planning to do over the years to come is try and build our evidence case um, and use uh, the evidence that our partners in education are developing to build the evidence uh, further so that we can look to perhaps make more radical changes um, in the future. But uh, we want to try and make the most of this opportunity at the moment to increase the flexibility and, and innovation that uh, can be included in our um, pre-registration courses. Thank you for that. Um, before we before we move on to our, our final question, which is a slightly different subject, I just wanted to check with you both. Is, is there anything else that you think um, listeners should be aware of uh, in, with regard to, to these standards that we, we've not covered already? Uh, um, yeah. Yes, Flavia. Um, one of the things that I, I didn't directly mention, um, to make these standards work, and to ensure that future professionals have that specialist knowledge and skill uh, that Jerry had described, uh, we, where the ambition is greater, we want them to work at the top of the license, they're dealing with complexity, uh, advanced clinical assessment, those types of things, for example. They also need the right support, supervision and assessment. So although we've published these new standards, the programme standards also focus on the supervision and assessment of students from the beginning of their courses all the way through to the successful completion. But that has to be looked in conjunction with the standards to, uh, for supervision and assessment uh, that we published in 2018. And we know that these students are already qualified nurses um, and for Skiffin, some of them may be midwives, but they are moving into a, a new area of practice. So the level of supervision and assessment also needs to be worked out by universities and employers and agreed um, by how they're going to achieve that. And that's where everyone can get involved, Flavia, because everyone uh, will be supporting those future professionals and, and some of them will be undertaking the actual assessment to make sure that they, they have the potential to achieve and then they have um, uh, the evidence that they have actually achieved everything that they should to gain these qualifications. So that's a key area that everyone can get involved in, even if they're not in the, the nitty gritty of perhaps developing the programme. Um, so be thinking about that, what, what they could be doing, what ambition they have, what they might want to do differently in relation to how they supervise and assess um, these post-registration students. So I hope that's a helpful addition. That is. Thank you very much for mentioning that. It's always helpful just to uh, just to check if there's anything we've missed. So I appreciate that. Um, and finally, um, just to take a kind of a different turn in, in our conversation, it would be really interesting to hear from you both, you know, what, what you think is the, the most significant learning or what you've loved most from, from your nursing career. So, um, Geraldine, I, I know that you're retiring shortly following a distinguished career and, and Anne, you were recently awarded a British Empire Medal for services to public health so I think you're you're both in ideal positions to uh to tell us about about those uh, learnings 
Yeah, well, uh, congratulations again, Anne, on, on your BEM. Um, well, it's great to have the luxury to talk about your career, isn't it? So in terms of uh, what I've loved and what I've learned, um, I probably I probably answer those two questions together really. I probably loved all of it. I mean, I remember when um, when I was a student, and a lot of us used to say um, every placement that you've just finished, you think yes, that's that's what I want to do because you 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 like everything. Um, and I think the level of opportunity that there is in a career in nursing is something that is is one of the best parts of it. So. I really enjoyed my clinical practice and I really enjoyed the expertise of being a cardiac nurse. Um, I really enjoyed being a ward sister. And and actually, probably that was the only real ambition I ever had when I when I started. Um, that was fantastic. It was great to learn about uh, research. As I did a doctorate in, in cardiac nursing, it was great to be a director of nursing. And having retired from the NHS six years ago and had the opportunity to go to the NMC and learn a whole load of new things, um, not not least some from Anne, who's um, who's on the conversation today. So I think what I what I'd say is, you know, nursing has so many varied and different opportunities um, and the learning you get from all of those is is one of the great joys of the profession. And. I would really urge everybody to really look for those different opportunities. It's not always about promotion. Sometimes it's it's just about uh, having the bravery to move into something different and and be the person who doesn't know everything for a few months. But then you will get that learning and expertise as you go along. And uh, there's not many professions that will that will offer that. And um, we really need to make the most of it. Thank you. And Anne, over to you. Yeah, they are such wise words, Cherry. Um, and I know together we've often reflected not so much on our past, but what we could do that makes a difference for the future. But looking back, um, there, there is, I didn't know that this would be where I would end up in terms of my career as a nurse. Uh, like Jerry, my ambition was to become a sister um, as they were called back in those days and and when you achieve that at an early age and you think okay well what what's next and and I often describe that you know, the great thing about nursing is that you can have several careers it doesn't have to be just one and it doesn't have to be linear that as Jerry said that it's you know, all in an upward trajectory so I I had a clinical career my my passion uh, was children's nursing, even though I also am a qualified adult nurse, but children was that that special thing for me. But then um, opportunities change and I moved in and I uh, to university and started having a, a career in higher education. And the, the challenges and rewards are very different, but you bring your clinical expertise to those education roles every time. and, and I do remember one highlight where I was doing a sort of joint appointment. So for half of the time I was in clinical practice and half of the time I was in higher education. And that probably was one of the best jobs I've ever had, but they are exhausting jobs because you're doing not one job, but two jobs. And then moving into the NMC, the real privilege of being able to find out what happens, not just in my own locality, but across the United Kingdom and the opportunities and that that brings you 
that it brings you in touch with other people and what they do and what matters to them and really get a sense of what works well, where the innovation is and where the learning still needs to happen. So I think for Jerry and I working at the NMC, um, even though I'm the age I am, um, every day is still a school day. And so I'm still learning. And it's more about what we need to, how we can influence and support future professionals, how we can listen to those professionals now that are having the best of times and some of the challenging times and, and support and influence them, not just um, think about the regulation. And the standards are one way of us doing that. Um, it's looking to the future and, and really showcasing what nurses are capable of. So for me, it's been a long career. It's not always gone um, in the direction I thought it was when I was uh, that young 17 and a half year old when I started in Scotland. But as Jerry said, it gives you so many opportunities. And, and I, uh, I think I'm just blessed of having so many great nurses that I've worked with and, and midwives too along the way um, that has shaped my career, has shaped my knowledge and challenged me too to think about, well, could this be different? Could we do something else? Um, so it, it's like I say, every day is a school day and, and it's been fantastic. Thank you very much for that and Geraldine also. So I think um, every day is school day. Hopefully uh, we have all learned something today as well on, on the standards. So I want to uh, thank you both very much for taking part in the Nursing Standard podcast. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you. Thank you very much, Flavia. It's been great to have the opportunity. Yeah, um, absolutely. Thank you, Flavia. And, and thank you to the listeners who will be hearing this hopefully in the not too distant future, um, you are our future. So thank you for listening. Thank you. And thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that all the resources connected with this episode of the show can be found at rcni.com forward slash podcast, where you can also catch up on any episodes you may have missed or simply want to play back. And we greatly appreciate any feedback, so please do rate or review us on Apple or Spotify podcasts, which will also help other people to find us. I hope you enjoyed the show.